So our message today is something that the writer of the book of Hebrews in our Bible says is difficult to understand. (laughs) This is what he says. He says, there is much more we could say about this. It's going to take a lot of words and a lot of thinking, but it is difficult to understand, especially since you're all spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. (laughs) Welcome to Connect Us Church. We read the Bible. No, but I think you're ready. You're ready to learn. It's, it's like back to school Sunday. We're passing out all these backpacks. So you got your thinking caps on. You're ready to go. You're ready to think. You're ready to see what God has in store for us that the Bible says is hard to understand. But I think you're going to get it this morning. So if you're ready, I want you to say, I'm ready. I'm ready. I know you're ready. I know you're ready. I also want to invite you back next week to our service. And in a couple weeks, in September 10th, we're going to start a series called My Life is Built on the Bible. Because one of the biggest questions that we've been talking about in this series has been the fact that we are in the book of Numbers. It's one of the first books in the Bible, and it's in the Bible. It's true. It's God's word. Every single word of it is absolutely true. And yet, when you read a story in the Bible, in the book of Numbers, like in the beginning, we've been saying that it doesn't necessarily apply to our world today in the same way. And so we've been saying that these stories in the book of Numbers, that happened like 2,000 years before Jesus, and and now we live like 2,000 years after Jesus, and like something has changed, something is different. And so when we read about these sacrifices and these tabernacles and the temple and all these things, you're like, it's in the Bible. Why don't we do that today? God said to do this forever. Like, why don't we do that today? And I've been telling you, you've got to know the answer to that question. But you've got to know, why don't we do half the stuff that's in the Bible? And so this series that we're going to do called My Life is Built on the Bible will help answer that question and many other questions about the Bible. And so I hope you join us for that. Um, But we've been saying that the short answer to that question of, of what has changed has been what? Jesus. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. And so maybe you're like, all right, I I, I need some examples. Come on, preacher man, give me some examples how Jesus changed everything. I did some study this week, and I want to give you some examples, all right? So when it comes to the forgiveness of sin, for example, Jesus said he forgave sin. And there was a story in one particular time where there was friends and there was about four of them and and they had a buddy who was paralyzed. And that friend who was paralyzed, he he was on this mat and, and so the friend said, if we could only get this guy to go see Jesus, maybe Jesus could help him. And so they they took this man and they went to the house where Jesus was teaching. The problem was is there was no room in the house. They couldn't get in. And so the, the friends got smart. And they said, we got to get this guy to Jesus. And so they climbed up on the roof of the house and they started digging a hole. And then they slowly let their friend on a mat who was paralyzed down in the middle of the room. Imagine the hole in the ceiling. Everyone look up, right? It's opening up and there's a guy, you see an arm and a leg like hanging down and it's coming and he's floating. Like that's going to, it's going to 
get everyone's attention. And Jesus is watching what's happening. And he's like, this is incredible. And he looks at this guy who's sitting on a mat. He looks at him and says, your sin is forgiven. And we might hear that and say, oh, that's no big deal. But there were some religious leaders of the day in that house listening to Jesus. And when Jesus said that, they said, oh, no, you didn't. What, you, you can't say that? For, forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus is like, that's sort of the point. But th- th- we, we've got a whole system We've got a whole thing. God revealed it to us. It's called the Holy Scriptures. He gave it to us. Here's what you're supposed to do. There's a tabernacle. There's a te- te- temple. There's, you get an animal. You sacrifice it. It's got to be on a certain day. It's got to be with certain people. It's got to be certain things. There's a whole system that forgives sins. You can't just walk around and forgive sins. Who do you think you are? Jesus changed everything. Or what about provision? Uh, You've got to trust who for your daily bread, for your, for your food, for your life, for your, your comfort, for your whatever you need. Who are you trusting? Well, it better be God, right? right? God's the one who provides those things. And so when Jesus was teaching He said, well, let me introduce you to to God who provides for you. He said, he's actually your father in heaven. He's your heavenly father. And he already knows what you need. And so he's going to provide for you. Your your clothing and your food. And he's got you covered. And guess what? Jesus says, and I'm his son. Everyone's like, what? And Jesus said, yeah, yeah. The father who's going to provide your needs And me, Jesus is saying, we are one. We're united. We're we're on the same team. We're we're together. And so basically, Jesus is like, just trust me to provide for you. I'll take care of you. It's like, oh, that's that's what that's what God does. When Jesus is like, well, yeah, that's that's the point. Jesus changed everything. Or how how about when it comes to teaching, teaching the, the scriptures? For for thousands of years. The, the Jewish people would teach the scriptures to each other. They would share what this means. They would read it. And, and when the times of Jesus, they would meet in these places called synagogues, sort of like a church. And they would get around and they would teach what the scriptures say. And so one day Jesus was walking around and he said, okay, I'm going to go teach at the synagogue today. And so he starts teaching the scriptures that happened every Sabbath day, probably more than that. Like there was even a whole group of people called the Pharisees that memorized all of the scriptures. They had it all in their heads. It was so important to them. And so Jesus walked around and he showed up to teach one day and everyone listening to Jesus were like, that dude can preach. They're like, we've never heard anybody teach the scriptures like you. It's, it's, it's almost like you know the words, like you wrote the book. It, it's almost like He's teaching with this authority that we've never heard before. And Jesus was like, yeah, <laughs> that's sort of the point. In fact, Jesus would go so far as to like summarize all the Bible that they had at the time. They, they summarized it down to like just a, a command or two. So you can't add commands to the Bible. Who do you think you are? 
Jesus. Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed everything. And so one of the neatest places I think we can look at how Jesus changed everything is what's the center of the Jewish religious system. It was at the heart of everything. It was at the heart of the tabernacle, which was the portable temple. It was at the heart of the temple. It was in the holy of holy place that only one person could go one time a year, and that thing was called the Ark of the Covenant. This is like the special place where God said, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to talk with you. This is, this is the special place on earth where, where I will be. And so I know a few people in powerful places around the world. And so I, I called them this week and I said, hey, <clears throat> I'm doing the sermon on the Ark of the Covenant you think you could help me find it for a sermon illustration? And uh, unfortunately, they said no. We couldn't find it. So um, I figured I'd bring you the next best thing. I'm sorry, I couldn't actually get the real thing, but I, I figured I'd bring you the next best thing. So give me a second here. Here we go. Pretty good, all right? It's uh, Backpack Sunday, and you can tell I'm a dad of two little girls, right? <laughs> and a kindergartner, oh my goodness. So uh, here, this is the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, what's really cool about the Ark of the Covenant, besides, uh, well, there's a lot of cool things about it. But what's cool about the Ark of the Covenant is that there was things inside the Ark of the Covenant. There was three really unique and special important things inside the Ark of the Covenant. And so um, let's, let's take a look at what we got. The first thing that was in there was the tablets. <laughs> when the Ark was finished... Place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I give to you. That's God speaking to Moses in Exodus 25. And so remember, Moses went up on top of the mountain and God spoke to him and told him all these laws, told him all these ways. This is how God's going to relate to the people. And he inscribed 10 commandments on these stone tablets, like with his finger, and wrote them down. And, and they weren't all the commandments, but they were certainly a summary or a representation of all of the commandments, all of the laws. There was like 600 plus of them. And uh, so those were the tablets. And they put the tablets, God told them to put the tablets of the covenant in the ark or the container of the covenant, which makes total sense, doesn't it? You put the, the covenant in the place to keep it safe in the center of the worship where God actually wrote on it, like you'd want to keep those pretty safe, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And so we've been talking about how Jesus changes everything, right? And Jesus, Jesus changes everything. And so Jesus comes along and he says something that I'll get to in one second because I wanted to quiz you on the Ten Commandments, I forgot. 
Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? You shall not have any gods before me. You shall not make any idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet the Ten Commandments. So Jesus comes along, and and these are the Ten Commandments, and Jesus comes along and he says, don't misunderstand me why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets, although it might seem like I have. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And so Jesus is saying, he's, 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 he's giving the law in this section in Matthew chapter 5. He gives, the, he gives what you've heard, and then Jesus like kind of changes it and, and makes it deeper and kind of like explains what it fully means and, and doesn't just stick with the traditional understanding of, of how people in that day, 2,000 years ago, was trying to understand it. And so they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like you're, you're getting rid of all of these things that God told us to do forever. And Jesus was really clear. And he's like, look, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm fulfilling it. Like I've, I'm, I'm the real representation of all of these things. I'm the reality of all of these things. I've come to accomplish their purpose. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says something really scary. This is a scary verse in the Bible. He says this, he says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Get this, what he's saying, the Pharisees, they had the entire Bible of their day memorized. They followed every law as perfectly as they possibly could. It was their job. It was their duty. And Jesus comes along and says, you know how to go to heaven? And he's telling you and I the same thing today too. You know how to go to heaven? Do you? Your righteousness, your perfection must be better than the best person who has ever lived. Do you qualify? Why would you sign up to believe a system of religious beliefs that tells you that? Like, that sounds like a terrible way to live your life, that in order to go to heaven, you and I must be better than the best person that has ever lived. Good luck. And so Jesus says, that is true. And so what I've done, this is Jesus, what Jesus has done is I've done that for you. I've lived the perfect life for you. I've followed all the laws for you, knowing that you can't. And so Jesus says, just trust me. Like, if you want to go to heaven, the standard is perfection. And the only way you're going to get there is if you're perfect. And so you're not But if you trust in Jesus, and Jesus will get you there. That's what Jesus is saying. I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to be the the fulfillment of these things. And so the first thing in the Ark of the Covenant was the the, uh, tablet. The next thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was uh, the jar of manna. It's like uh, a little lunchbox, a little snack, you know. Because that's what manna was. It was uh, little wafers, little cracker type things, you know. 
And uh, we've been reading about that in the book of Numbers, haven't we? Uh, about the manna that God provided miraculously for the nation of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. Imagine every day for 40 years waking up and God gave you food. It was just outside. And they would go out and collect it, just enough for the day. 40 years, God provided miraculous, miraculous food. Now, <clears throat> you'd think that you'd be happy about that, right? The miracles that God gives us in our life are often the very things that we begin to complain about, not so long later. And it's the same happened with the manna. God gave them this manna every single day, and eventually the people were like, we don't want that anymore. We're tired of that. We've got much better food back in Egypt. We don't want this. And so the manna was gathered up, and Moses said to Aaron, his brother, the high priest, he said, put that jar of manna next to the Ark of the Covenant as a reminder for all generations that God provides for us. And he feeds us. He was with us. And it also, I guess, became a reminder of like, hey, don't be complaining about the things you ask God for because it's human nature that we do do that. And so again, that's the manna, but Jesus does what? He changes everything. And so Jesus showed up and John chapter six, he's teaching to this large crowd of people and he's like, I am the bread of life. It's like, What? Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. It was cool, you know, for a time. But anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. This is much better. And I am the living bread that came from heaven. It's like, what, Jesus, what are you saying? Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. To which the disciples responded, uh, Jesus, you want us to be cannibals and eat you? What are you saying? Like, the disciples get freaked out. They get, they get terrified. Like, there's lots of people following Jesus. There's lots of people listening to Jesus, and the disciples are liking it. You know, this is great. People are showing up. Everyone's having a good time. Like, Jesus, you can't be telling them to eat your body. They're, nobody wants to do that. They're all going to leave. Like, Jesus, stop doing that. And, and Jesus doubles down, and he says, no, like, this is the thing. I am the manna that came down in the book of Numbers, like, that's me, and I'm better, and I'm standing before you, and if people eat me, then they'll live forever, which I'm better than the stuff that God provided back in the book of Numbers. And it's like, okay, Jesus, that makes no sense. And guess what? That large crowd of people that was following Jesus, the scriptures tell us that many people in that crowd left because they're like, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't want it. I don't, I don't understand, Jesus. What do you mean? And I, I understand, right? Like, like they didn't know what Jesus knew. And that Jesus' body literally was going to die on a cross, that his flesh was going to be destroyed, that it was, he was going to die so that, 
sin could be forgiven and that you and I and everyone could be forgiven of their sin and have a right relationship with God forever. It's only through Jesus's body, his death, that you can do that and live forever. And people didn't understand what that meant, but Jesus was helping them to understand, right? All throughout his teaching, look forward to this. Like, it's my body, it's my blood that's what's going to save you. Jesus changed everything. He changed everything. And the last thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was what? Aaron's rod that budded. And the Lord said to Moses, place Aaron's staff permanently before the Ark of the Covenant. And so it might have been inside. It might have been just outside. You know, it's close enough. It's inside for our purposes today. To serve as a warning to the rebels that this should put an end to their complaints against me and prevent further deaths. And so why was Aaron's rod, his staff, his leadership symbol, why was that placed in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it goes back to what we talked about last week in the book of Numbers, chapter 16, where there was a guy named Korah who was a Levite, and, and it was his job, his, his and his people's job, to carry the, the things in the tabernacle on their shoulders. Like that was their unique position. And Korah got tired of it. And he said, we don't want to do this anymore. We want the priesthood. And so God said, well, that's not okay. And he swallowed up Aaron, uh, Korah and his descendants in the earth, which is like, that sounds scary. That sounds crazy. And so all these people, these like 250-ish people, they got swallowed by the earth. So, and everyone else is watching this happen, and, and they're looking at Moses and Aaron, who kind of caused this, and your reaction would be similar to theirs, I think. And they would say, Moses and Aaron, you just killed our people. Like, shame on you. I, you know, you can't be our leaders. You let this happen. And God stepped into the defense of his leaders. And God said, no, no, like, they're my people. Like, you got to follow them. You got to stay in line. And so the people got so mad, so, so angry. And God sent this plague that killed 15,000 people that day. That's a lot of people. And we've been talking through this development series about leaders, about how leaders oftentimes respond better than we expect them to, and how Moses and Aaron responded in these hard situations. Well, guess how Aaron responded? He grabbed whatever he could grab, he grabbed his incense, and he started running, not away from the plague, but towards the plague. The very people that wanted to kill him, he ran towards to try to save. And he, the scriptures say he stood between the dying and the living. Like Aaron was right on the front lines of this plague that was coming through 15,000 people and trying to save people's lives. It's an amazing thing that a leader did. And God looked at Aaron and said, well done, man. That's, that's amazing. That's why you're my dude. Like, that's why you're my guy. And so he's like, anybody that wants to complain against you or criticize you, like this, settle this once for all, okay? So if you think you're important in the nation of Israel, let's bring your staff 
Everyone had their name, you know, inscribed on it, their representative of their tribe, and put it in the Ark of the Covenant, and let's leave it there overnight and see what happens. And so God sets this challenge up, and he says, okay, if your staff flowers, like if there's flowers that grow on that stick, well, then you'll know that I've chosen you. And so they, they go in in the morning, and they see that Aaron's rod has flowered. And not only did it flower, it produced almonds. It's like, what? God's saying, like, Aaron is my guy. Remember, this is a dead stick. There ain't no life in a dead stick. How do flowers and almonds grow in a dead stick? It's sort of the point. Life coming from something that has been dead. And so Aaron's rod flowered. And so I just told you a whole bunch of stuff, number 16 into number 17. And the people's response to all of these things that are happening, this is what they said. Number 17, verse 12. Then the people of Israel said to Moses, look, we're doomed. <laughs> What's the point? We're, we're dead. We're ruined. Everyone who comes close to the tabernacle, the Lord dies. So like, are we doomed too? <laughs> what a question. They're wondering out loud what we all have wondered at one time in our life before, and maybe right now. How in the world can a holy God live with such sinful people? Like, it seems impossible. It seems like everything we do is wrong. Everything we, we step towards is going to just, we're going to walk in a hole one day and God's going to swallow us up. <laughs> Are we just doomed to die? Are we? And the answer to that question is found in Numbers chapter 18, where Moses tells us more about the priesthood and the sacrificial system. And so he outlines, there's specific things that God outlined for the priesthood to function, right? There was specific sacrifices that need to happen and offerings that needed to happen in certain places at certain times, and it was always laid out. And like, this is the way that God, a holy God, would be able to live amongst sinful people. And so that was the duty of the Levites. The Levites were in charge of the priesthood. This was Aaron's family, and like, you had to be a Levite in order to have this responsibility. It was a great responsibility to have. And in Numbers chapter 18, we read, there were some perks to being a Levite. Well, like, for example, this one in Numbers 18, verse 14, everything in Israel that is especially set apart for the Lord also belongs to you. That's pretty cool. If it's for God, Levites, it's also for you, which meant like when an animal was sacrificed on an altar, the Levites got to eat that sacrifice. Pretty cool perk. There's another thing. It said, the Lord said to Aaron, your priests will receive no allotment of land or share of property amongst the people of Israel. Sounds like a bummer. You don't get a land, you don't get a house, you know, that type of thing. But then he says, God said, I am your share and your allotment. <laughs> you might not get land, but you get God. <laughs> and God's inheritance, that's eh, pretty good. I I'll take that. Or how about the perk of, like, they got... Give these instructions to the Levites when you receive from the people of Israel. This is verse 26. 
the tithes I have assigned as your allotment, give a tenth of the tithes you received, a tithe of the tithe to the Lord as a sacred offering. And so they got to receive the 10%, the tithe that people gave of, of the food and the offerings and the grain and all these things. And then the Levites had the opportunity to also tithe on the tithe. They gave a 10% to God of the 10% that they received as a way of obedience to God, of honoring God, of, of looking to the Lord, looking to God. And so... I've just told you a whole bunch of stuff, right? A lot of stuff that's hard to understand, right? Maybe you're thinking today, like, I don't know. What, well, how does this relate? How does this, how does this help me? How does this, uh, how does this work? And I'm trying to get you to see through the Hebrew scriptures and numbers that Jesus is the center of everything. Jesus changed everything. And so there's this, this point that, that the writer of the book of Hebrews makes. Like he's trying to explain this. He's saying, it's hard to understand. I get it. You know, you're falling asleep in these nice fancy chairs and there's heated seats. And like, I get it. Like it's hard. It's so hard. But hang with me because you don't want to miss it. He says this. He says, the main point is this, okay? The main point is we have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. And there he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. He's saying that Jesus is the ultimate completion of everything that we read in the Old Testament, of this tabernacle system, this temple system, that Jesus is the high priest. To which you're supposed to say, that's impossible. Because... Who's the priests? The Levites are the priests. Was Jesus from the tribe of Levi? The answer is no. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is like, well, how is, does this work? How can Jesus be the high priest if he's not from the right tribe? And so it, it gets deep. You've got your thinking caps on, right? So he says, there was this guy back in the book of Genesis. His name was Melchizedek. This is in the book of Hebrews. You can follow along another time. I just thought it'd be easier to tell you. But there was a, there's a guy named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was such an important person that another really important person that you might have heard before, Abraham, Abraham paid Melchizedek a tithe which is pretty amazing because it showed honor and respect and obedience to this king, this person. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says that, well, since Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek and Levi was from the descendant of Abraham, then it's like Levi paid a tithe to Melchizedek too, which means that Melchizedek is greater than Levi. I know, it's a lot. And plus he was like, well, if Melchizedek lives forever and the Levites die, is it better to die or live forever? Somebody choose, right? Is it better to die or live forever? Live forever. So, okay. So live forever and Melchizedek, uh, Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. That's, that's how. 
that we have a high priest. So he's like, forget all that. The main point is we have a high priest. His name's Jesus. <laughs> and he's ministering in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord. So that's that tent that we showed in that video, right? The, the altar and the, the wash thing and the, the incense that's inside and then the Ark of the Covenant inside the holy of holy place. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews goes on and says, for the, by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that is why he is the one who mediates a what covenant? A new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them for Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. So Jesus' death is what makes all of this possible and his resurrection to give new life. And so I forgot to tell you about the most important thing in the Ark of the Covenant. How could I forget? Unless I intentionally did it. To save it for the end, right? There is something incredibly important about the Ark of the Covenant that we didn't talk about yet. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was those things that we talked about, but on the top of it was... What? The mercy seat. And we read in the book of Hebrews that Christ did not enter into the holy place made with human hands. It wasn't like a literal Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't a literal mercy seat. It was just a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear before God on our behalf. And so Jesus, when he died, he came and he got his, his blood and he literally walked into heaven and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat in heaven. Now, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know, but Jesus is the one who provided the sacrifice, provided the offering. And the mercy seat covers the whole thing, right? The mercy seat covers the whole, the whole box. And so the, the, the manna was in the box, the, the tablets, the stone tablets were in the box. The, the rod that Aaron had was in the box. <laughs> this thing's so big. And the mercy seat, pure gold with the angels looking over it, covered it all. And so if, if you're like me this morning, there's something inside all of us that, that loves to, to see what's inside the ark. And, and we'll look and we'll see, oh, oh yeah, here's, here's this, this rod. It represents when the people rebelled against the leaders. And we'll think about these times when we just did our own thing. We, we rebelled against God. We said, oh, we're good enough. I'll take care of it. You know, forget God. I don't need God in my life. I'll figure it out myself. I got better plans. And we like to take these things out and look at them and remember them and say, why would God ever love me? Why would God ever accept me after doing this, after living my whole life not caring about God at all? Why would God accept me? 
Or, or we'll go in here and, and we'll look and say, oh yeah, this, this, this provision, this manna that God provided for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm complaining about the very things God provided for me. I was asking for this and now I hate it. You know, God, why did you do that? And, and we beat ourselves up about the very things God gave us. And we say, well, God would never let me into heaven. God would never forgive me for what I've done. I've doubted that he would provide all these years, all this time. He, he's not going to come through. He's not going to do it. I've doubted it. Why would God accept me? Or, or we look at the, the stone tablets, and we read earlier about the Ten Commandments. And it's like, th those Ten Commandments, I haven't even done two of them. Like, how am I supposed to be with God if I can't keep the commandments? And Jesus said, I'm supposed to keep all of them better than the best person that ever lived. How is this possible? And we walk around with these things and, and we say, well, God would never, God would never let me in. God would never, we beat ourselves up. We, we hate ourselves. We, we punish ourselves. We're so depressed. We're so down about all of these things. But my friend, these things are inside the Ark of the Covenant. And these things are covered by God's mercy. So don't be taking them out walking around. It's covered by God's mercy. It's covered by God's love. Come on. It's covered by what Jesus did for you. It's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 ends by telling us that it's everyone's destiny. I don't know if this is a newsflash this morning or not, but it's everyone's destiny at one point in their life to die. He's like, you're going to die, and then comes the judgment. And then he says that, you know, Jesus is going to come back, and he's, he's going to come to give life, salvation to people. For those, he says, who eagerly await him. And so I wonder today, do you eagerly await for Jesus? Are you eagerly awaiting him to, to return, to, to go to heaven and see your Lord and Savior who died for you, who paid for your sin? Are you? I hope so. And I want to give you the opportunity today to just do that. To say, Jesus, hey, there's nothing I can do to get to heaven. I'm not good enough. But I believe, Jesus, that you took care of it all for me. You died for me. You rose again to give me new life. And today, I'm just trusting in you. That's how I'm going to get to heaven this morning. And so you can do that right here, right now. Don't put it off. Don't make it later. Just, just pray something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know there's no way to get to heaven without you. And because you love me, you died for me, you rose again to give me life, and today I'm trusting in you alone to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Something like that. Hey, put your hands together for those who are putting their faith in Jesus, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. I wonder, is this message for anybody this morning? Is it for anybody this morning? If it's for you, I, I, I believe I've been praying for you today, this week, has been preparing for this message. If it's for you, I want to ask you to do something really bold, okay? Is that all right? 
You don't have to talk. You don't have to do anything. You just have to do one thing. If this message was for you this morning, would you just come down front here? I know it's a little scary. If you're like, that, that's me. I mean, I don't know. God was just talking to me the whole time. I can't deny it, you know. Would you be so bold as to come down? I don't know. We got a, we got a lady coming down. I don't know if it's just with a kid or coming down. Awesome. Praise the Lord. You can just stay, stand right here. You don't have to uh, come a little closer. There you go. You don't have to do anything. Nothing crazy. But I do want to give you something. I don't know what you've been going through or dealing with. The doubts and the pain and the hurts, the guilt that you've been carrying around. But I want you to feel this morning that when God looks at you, I'm going to put something around you. This is what he sees. God's mercy is enough for you. God's love is enough for you. His grace is enough for you. And you can have a right relationship with God forever because of what Jesus has done for you. His mercy is enough.